Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. At this time, I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. We're going to be continuing the uh, series that Pastor has been in over the last several uh, really months. And we're going to uh, look at it today. And then next week, we're going to wrap the whole thing up. First Thessalonians chapter number five. We're going to be in verse 12, excuse me, down through verse 15 today. And then next week, we'll take verse 16 to the end of the chapter, okay? Um, first Thessalonians five, uh, I'll let you remain seated today. And we're going to read this scripture. And then we're going to jump right into our service. The Bible says, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. I wanna to talk today about a church's relationship to one another. A church's relationship to one another. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that we can uh, continue in our service today. I pray that you would be glorified. Please give me the uh, words to say. Give me wisdom, Lord, to know exactly what to say. Keep me from saying the things that don't need to be said. And I pray ultimately that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Now, in the world that we live in, uh, it's a common practice for us to try to find the best of everything, right? If you need a new toothbrush, you can Google best toothbrushes and you can find the best toothbrushes of 2022. The only reason I know is I literally just did that on Monday. Um, if you're looking for a new car, everyone has an opinion on cars and you can find a number of opinions out there on the best vehicle. If you're looking for a better cardiologist, you could get on Yelp and read Yelp reviews about their practice and then try to make a determination upon which is best. And this quest to find the best is not limited to just these kind of small things, like where do you get the best donuts in Panama City? You go to Parlor Donuts. Uh, sorry, any dandy donut fans. Um, anyways, uh, you know, it's not limited to those kinds of things. This, is, this extends to the church, right? And opinions are limitless when it comes to the church. Uh, people have opinions on what makes the church the best. Does the, the, the best church would have the music that I like. Uh, the questions we might ask would be, do they use the, the version of the Bible that I think is best? Uh, they ask the question, is the coffee at that church good? They ask questions like, do they have activities for kids and for adults? You could ask the question, does the pastor preach long or does he preach short sermons? You could ask the question, is the coffee good at that church? You could say, do they, you could ask, do they speak up about the political issues that I care the most about? Uh, does the church make me feel comfortable or uncomfortable? Maybe the, the ultimate question, though, would be, is the coffee good at that church? <laughs> and while all of these questions are important, for sure, and they definitely play a role in the decision-making processes of where you may decide to go to church, they aren't the biblical markers of what we should look for in a church. 
They're just not. Yeah, the Bible says that he brews, but that's not something we need to look for. Some of you will get that later on, I promise. Uh, But uh, that's just not something we need to look for in a church. They may be important points of preference, but they don't define the way a church should operate. And they certainly don't make for a church that is doing the right things. You can have all of those preferences checkbox, but that doesn't mean the church is doing the biblical things. So what makes for a church that's doing things right? How can we identify these things? A church that's doing things right, though they possess many other important attributes, is a church that's doing their relationships with one another correctly. Now, there are many attributes within a church that are important, without a doubt. Doctrine matters. That's super important. Um, And those kind of things matter. But one thing that we can look at, especially from this text, is how are they doing their relationships with one another? Because remember something about the church. The church is a gathering of people. The church is not a gathering of positions. It's not a gathering of preferences. It is a gathering of people. And that means that the way the church functions interpersonally has a direct and an important impact on the life of that church. So if the relationships within the church are so important, what should they look like? Now, in our text verses, Paul is wrapping up his first letter to the Thessalonians, uh, and he's giving some last words of exhortation to the church. This is actually very common in the Greco-Roman world. When When someone would write an extensive letter like Paul did and then send it off to somebody, and this was supposed to be read in the public hearing, the very end of the letter would be these like rapid fire type commands or encouragements or instructions. And that's exactly what we see Paul doing here. He does it in other places as well. His use of the phrase uh, at the beginning of verse 12, and we beseech you, brethren, lets us know that there is a subject change here. That what he's been saying, he's done with, he's moving on to something else. And up until this point, as we learned last week, and as we learned when we uh, studied the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul's been talking about the return of Christ. He's been talking about how the church should be living in light of Christ's return. And now as he's wrapping things up, he seems to be making one final call to the Thessalonians here about how the church should function. Today, the verses we're going to deal with today deal with relationships within the church. And then next week, what we're going to look at is more of the spiritual life of the church. So we want to identify today two primary relationships that Paul establishes in these verses and look at how these relationships should operate, okay? Relationship number one is this, how leaders and followers relate. How leaders and followers relate. How should the church relate to its leaders and how should its leaders relate to the church? Let's look back in verse number 12. It says, and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now, Paul answers the questions that I just asked. How should the church relate to its leaders? How should its leaders relate to the church? He answers the question both directly and in an implied way. And I want to show you what I'm talking about here. He First, he directly answers the question by showing how the church should relate to its leaders. And he says, by knowing them and by esteeming them. Verse 12, he says, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. The words translated to know, they come from the Greek words meaning to respect or to honor. So Paul is beseeching. And when we see this word beseeching here, uh, this is important distinction to make from here and then down in verse number 14, Paul is just asking here. There's not a lot of intensity in this Greek word. 
Uh, he's mostly just asking or requesting that the Thessalonian church do this. He's saying, he's asking them, he's requesting that they honor uh, and respect those that are leaders in the church. And then more than likely, because of the way that the Greek is structured here, he's probably talking about the elders of the church. Although this passage does not specifically say, this is the exact group of leaders I want you to, to care for. So the, the interpretation could be broad here, but more than likely, he's talking about the elders in the church. And in verse 12, he says to know them, which is an indication that there are more than one uh, uh, leaders in their church at work. So what is it that they should be honored for? Laboring among them, being over them in the Lord, and admonishing them. Now, I'm going to get into this in a little bit, but just for now, remember that he calls the church to honor the, their leaders for laboring among them, being over them in the Lord, and admonishing them. In verse number 13, he continues, and he says to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now, the words translated to esteem very highly is very strong in the original language. It can read, hold them in the highest regard. So he's saying, hold them in the highest regard. And he says, do it in love. He's asking them not to regard their leaders just because of the respect for the position, but to do it out of love. And why should they do this? Verse 13 ends. Uh, not quite ends, but there in verse 13, he says, because of their work's sake, because of the work of the leaders in their church, the church should hold them in the highest regard in love. The church should respect and highly regard its leadership in love, not because there is anything intrinsically special within the people that make up the leadership. There is nothing special about the leadership. They are regular people. They have breakfast just like everyone else. They eat lunch just like everyone else. They go to bed just like everyone else. They hopefully drink good coffee like everyone else. They, they're like everyone else. They're, they're regular people, but they should be esteemed highly and regarded highly in love because of their work's sake, which leads us to the second question we want to answer. How should leaders relate to the church? Now, as you can see, this is very clear from just reading the text that he is talking about how the church should relate to its leaders. But when we read this, we can also see the way that the church leaders should be relating to the church. And you summarize it there in verse 13, when he says, esteem them very highly in love for their works sake. It's for their works. So what should the works of the church be towards the church? They should be laboring among the people. You should be, they should be laboring among the people. This, this word labor means to toil, to work hard for the sake of the congregation in the, their midst, to labor among them. He continues in uh, verse 12, and he says, our, and are over you in the Lord. This word over you, it literally means to stand before you. These leaders were the ones that were leading the church in the Lord, not in their own might or direction, but in the Lord. And then he admonishes them and he says that the leaders were admonishing them. This is the idea of instructing. There was a lot going on in Thessalonica. And there's things that we've seen in the previous passages, people who were discouraged that their loved ones had died and Jesus hadn't come back. What does that mean? People who were being uh, lazy and slothful, as we saw at the beginning of chapter number four, uh, just all sorts of things going on. And these leaders were the people coming along and uh, teaching these people how to live right, how to live according to right doctrine and, and, and uh, application in right thinking and right living. So to bring the pieces together, the leaders in the church should be actively working and laboring in the church. And the church members should uh, respect and regard its leadership for their work. 
And he concludes this little section in verse number 13 with the first imperative of the text. He says, and be in peace among yourselves. We could also translate this as live in peace with one another. There's always potential for a church to live in conflict. We've probably all seen that. And if the church and the leaders don't maintain a relationship of leaders laboring and, 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 and members regarding, there's potential for discord and conflict. So what Paul is saying is, when you live this way, when you have these relationships between leaders and followers, you will have peace among yourselves. And it reminds me of Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit for yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. This, this verse encapsulates the same theme that Paul is teaching here in 1 Thessalonians 5. He calls the church to obey and submit to them that have the rule over you, motivated by the fact that it is unprofitable for the church to have leaders caring for them with grief and not with joy. But these, Hebrews 13 is also a reminder to leaders to remember that they must be caring for the souls of those entrusted to their care by God and that one day they will give an account for it. This is a two-way relationship that the church is called to love and care for their leaders and the leaders are called to labor and work among the people. And so uh, this is hard for me to preach this text uh, because it feels weird to stand up here and say, you need to love and respect your leaders because I are one. That feels uncomfortable. So I have to say it this way. I thank God for Fellowship Baptist Church because I believe personally, you guys do a wonderful job of this, of caring for and encouraging and being a blessing to your leaders. So I guess the only word of application I have is this. And it's so weird to preach a text and be like, how do I apply this? Can I skip this part? So here's the application. Thank you. Like, seriously, thank you. I believe that the way this church has, takes care of the leaders, not just me and Pastor Tyler, but our deacons and our Sunday school teachers and those in leadership in the church, I believe the way that you guys do that is honoring to God. I believe that the love, the encouragement, the support, the willingness of so many to just jump in and be involved is not lost on those of us who lead. And we're grateful for it. So thank you so much. And to kind of broad brush the application here for the leaders in our church, let's make sure we're actively working and laboring in our congregation. Brothers and sisters who lead here, be it the elders, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, the, the music team, whatever it is that you may do, let's make sure that we're encouraging, that we're leading, that we're laboring in love in the Lord for our brothers and sisters. It's not a small task to be in those positions. And so let's do it with everything we have to be an encouragement to those around us. So how should leaders and followers relate? Followers should regard leaders in love and leaders should be busy about the work to which God has called them. That's relationship number one. Moving on, praise the Lord. Relationship number two, how to relate to each other. How to relate to each other. Look in verse number 14. He says, now we exhort you, brethren. This is, he, he's gone from just simply asking. Now he's urging, he's imploring them. This is, is, there's some intensity building here. Now we urge you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. 
See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Here are the commands that Paul, these exhortations, uh, this, this, these urgings that Paul gives to the church as how they should relate to one another. No one is excluded in what he's about to say. Leader, follower, whoever you are in the church, this is for us, all of us. He begins, warn them that are unruly. And he calls the whole church, before I continue, he calls the whole church into these works. He doesn't just call the leaders into this. The whole church is to do this with one another. Warn them that are unruly. Warn can be translated as admonish or instruct. It's the idea of counseling someone in terms of their behavior. And the word unruly is referencing those that are undisciplined or idle. It's literally the Greek word translated unruly was used in this time to talk about those people that did not show up for work. This was the word that they used. So Paul is instructing them. He's urging them to to go to the lazy person, the idle person, and instruct them to get to work. And this was a problem in Thessalonica. If you remember in chapter number four, Paul told them, work with your own hands. Work with your own hands. Get busy. Stop being busybodies. If you remember, we talked about it. He said, mind your business and get to work. They had come to believe that Jesus was coming back in literally any second. And so what they did was they quit their jobs and they were sitting around waiting. And Jesus wasn't coming back and they were not working and they were sitting around and there were busybodies springing up and there was rumors and gossip going around and there's all sorts of issues. And so Paul told them, get to work. And as we learned last week, he tells them in chapter five, you're not supposed to be sitting around doing nothing while you're waiting for the return of Christ. You need to be busy about serving God. So he's instructing the church, find those among you that may be idle, that may be uh, complacent, that may not be busy working and instruct them, encourage them to get to work. He says, comfort the feeble-minded. The word comfort, it means to alleviate sorrow or distress, to encourage. And the feeble-minded are those that are discouraged and faint of heart. This goes back to chapter number four, where Paul is addressing those who were sorrowful, and sad that their, their loved ones had died and Jesus hadn't come back. And they just didn't know what was going to happen. Are we ever going to be reunited? They were uncertain if they would see these people again. So Paul encouraged them, if you remember. He says, Christ, uh, because Christ is risen, the dead in Christ will rise. He says it's going to happen. They're going to rise first. The Bible even says that, uh, that we shall not prevent them, which are asleep. Prevent means uh, we won't go before them. They're going first. Like we're going to be reunited with them. And now he's urging the church to encourage those that are sorrowful and discouraged. He continues, he says, support the weak. The word support, it literally means to hold on to something or someone. And when Paul mentions the weak, the word he is using is pointing to those who are weak morally. It's the idea of the stronger brother and sister in the faith holding on and supporting the brothers and sisters that are weaker in the faith. In the beginning of chapter number four, he tells the Thessalonians how they ought to live, to forsake, uh, to forsake lust, possess your own vessel, to, to live right before God. He even mentions in chapter one that a lot of the Thessalonians had turned from idols to the one true God. And without a doubt, some of these people were probably living quite insane and licentious lives before they knew Christ. And now they've come into the church and they may have been struggling. They may have been struggling to do all these things to live a holy and righteous life. 
They were growing in sanctification. And the command to support the weak is the idea of come along these brothers and sisters that are having a hard time and encourage them, lift them up, help them move forward in their sanctification. And then he says, be patient toward all men. Now, isn't that an interesting placement for that? He just told the church, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you can get into the work of taking care of people and trying to help people out, trying to support people. And after a while, you kind of just think, can you just get your act together? You ever been there? Like, why do you keep reaching out to me? Get it together. He says, be patient toward all men. It's the idea of being long-suffering. Encourage each other. Not patience to the end of, okay, finally this is over. But patience to the end of going the distance with people if you have to. And it's not just limited to those people in the church. He says patient toward all men. Everybody. The people outside of the church, you must be patient toward them. And then he continues in verse 15. He says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. There would be times when someone would do evil to these Thessalonians. There would be times when paying back or rendering evil for evil felt like a good and right option. But he tells them, don't do it. Don't return evil for evil. Instead, follow after or pursue that which is good. Now we have the benefit. And you got to remember this when you're reading scripture. We have the benefit that we can read down in the second Thessalonians and see what's coming. And sometimes I'm afraid that because we know that, we unintentionally, and I don't think we do it on purpose, we unintentionally take our knowledge of what happens and project it back onto what happened to the original audience. But these Thessalonians had no idea what was coming. They, didn't, they couldn't turn the page and look at second Thessalonians and see that there was persecution coming their way and that they would face persecution. They had no idea. So now they're living this life and Paul says, don't render evil to anyone, but pursue good with people. And little did they know that they'd face persecution from the people outside of the church. They would face evil from those that would fall within the all men category. And Paul's instruction would have been a reminder to them when those times came, that even as difficult as it got, not to render evil back to those people, but to pursue, to follow after that which was good. So if we were to evaluate how we as a church relate to one another, would we be able to identify these same markers in our own church? Are we the kind of church that instructs those that are idle, those that have decided to take a laid back, nonchalant approach to maybe life, to the church, to, to ministry, to the, to the idea of, well, Christ is coming back, so I'll be okay. Are we known as those who encourage our brothers and sisters to, to wake up, to get involved, to be working while we wait for the coming of Christ? Do we comfort the feeble-minded or the discouraged? Friend, everybody in this room, everyone in this room goes through a time of discouragement, through disappointment. They may even face depression. There are people right now today, and I'm just telling you, there, this church, we've, been, we've got stuff going on. We do. People are dealing with physical issues. People are, people are carrying heavy burdens. People are, are dealing with loved ones who have passed. People are dealing with unknown health issues. 
people who are dealing with interpersonal relationships. What are we doing as their brothers and sisters to encourage them? Who are we going to to encourage and to comfort? Who could you, ask yourself this, who could you be an encouragement to? Who could you comfort? And I say this from a position of, I have to do better at this myself. He continues, he says, are we supporting the weak? Those who are are weak in the faith. Do you know who in our midst may be young in the faith? Or someone who is struggling uh, with some spiritual issue or maybe a recurring sin or or some some addiction or whatever the case may be. Maybe they're backsliding. Do you know of anyone like that? And what are you doing to support them? Are we coming alongside them and helping them? Do we, do we pick these people up that are struggling spiritually or do we cast them aside and move on? Paul told the Romans, he said, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. He told the Galatians, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of weakness. Why? Considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. And he says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Who is it in here that you're discipling, that you're helping as they walk through a difficult, challenging, spiritual circumstance? And then he says, are we patient toward all? There are people here in this room that are at different stages of growth, that have different preferences than we might have, that are at different places in their walk with God than us. Do we have patience toward them? And I'm not talking about the kind of patience that's like, well, one day they'll get to where I'm at. I'm talking about the kind of patience that says, I'm just going to be there. I may not agree with everything that you, that you do. I may not agree with all your preferences, but I'm your brother and sister, and I am, I'm in this for the long haul with you. Do we have patience to those that are outside the church? It's really easy to get upset and frustrated with people that don't know Jesus for behaving like they don't know Jesus. Remember something. At one point in your life, you were not a Christian. And a Christian somewhere had patience with you. It's important that we demonstrate the same patience towards our brothers and sisters with all people, even outside of the church. How can we be a testimony to the lost world if our immediate reaction to them is, well, what you believe is unbiblical and therefore I don't like you? Do we do our best to pursue that which is good toward all people, both inside and outside the church? Is this how we're known in our community, as a church that just does good? If we ask our brothers and sisters in the room, would they say that our church is known as being a church that pursues good? How do we relate to one another? Listen, there's no such thing as a perfect church. It doesn't exist. Nowhere to be found. If you find it, Call me, but I won't go there because I'll ruin it. There's no such thing as a perfect church, but there is such thing as a progressing church, a church that's growing in grace and godliness together, a church that has the right relationships between its leaders and followers, a church that looks out and cares for one another. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. 
I love this line. He says, still imperfect as it is, the dearest place, uh, the church is the dearest place on earth to us. Brothers and sisters, the church is possibly the most significant place we have on this earth. Do you realize that these people in this room, you, if they are truly your brothers and sisters, you will spend all of eternity with them. When all other relationships go to the wayside, and it happens. And I've seen it over and over again, just because your blood with somebody doesn't mean anything sometimes. But we have the church. And you know what? We should be confident in the relationships that we have within this church. We should be confident to know that if something's going on, I can just pick up the phone and call my brother and sister and they'll just listen. That if something's going on, if I'm having a spiritual struggle, I know my brothers and sisters will help me and support me, literally hold on to me. That I know that if something is is challenging in my life and I'm discouraged that when I walk in those doors on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, I'm going to get encouragement from the people I see. So let's purpose today as a church to be a church that maintains and grows the right kind of relationships. Knowing that at the end of the day, it brings glory to God. And at the end of the day, we are just getting practice for eternity because we'll be with each other for forever. Amen. Church, I'm thankful for you. I love you. And I'm so glad that we get to do this this super crazy fun thing together. But let's, let's keep going and come together. Let's what, when, when people walk in our doors, let's let them know something is new, not something is different, not by anything that we say to them. They can just, and there's just something about this place. These people actually care. And let's do it. Let's not just hope for it. Let's do it for our brothers and sisters and for the world around us. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.